Get up out of your seat and let's sing together. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's worship together. We want to hear you sing through the screen. Let's worship and sing together.
Welcome, church family and iCampus viewers. We are so thankful that you are with us and that you're watching today. We encourage you to take part as though you were right here with us. If this is your first time with us, there is an online connection card we'd love for you to complete. On Facebook, YouTube, there is a link in the comments. If you're watching on our website, just follow the link all the way down. Scroll down to find that connection card. If we can pray for you any need you might have, there's also a prayer request card link as well. We know that these are unusual and difficult times, but we just want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving. The ministry of First Baptist Church has not wavered during this time, so it's important that you continue to give steadfastly. We encourage you to give online. You can see the link on your screen, or you can mail in your tithe or you can just drop it off here at the church office during our regular office hours. We would be delighted to see you at a distance, of course. In the midst of all this, we have much to be thankful for. Join us as we express our gratitude to the Lord and sing with us.
Amen. Thank you for singing today. May we go to the Lord in prayer today as we prepare our hearts to hear from his word. Our Father God, we do. We love you so much. We thank you, God, for your presence that's with us here at the church and scattered throughout homes all over the place. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God that's not limited to one place, but that, Lord, you are with us wherever we are through the power of your Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about today. Our Father God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts now as we turn our attention to your word. And we pray, God, that your word would go forth and that it would accomplish the things that you have for it. God, this morning we want to say thank you as well for getting us online. Lord, what many people don't know is we had some major problems this morning being able to get going. But Lord, through your grace and through the provision of of our team and, and people who you've provided connections with, we were able to get this service out. And we believe that that's important because you have a word to share today. And so, God, we pray that you would get the word out and that it would penetrate to people's hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I teach through the revivals on Wednesday evenings, um, I find myself longing to see God bring revival and awakening in our day in an increasing manner. Uh, in talking about his ministry in Boston in 1740, at the very beginning of what became known as the First Great Awakening, George Whitfield said, the word runs like lightning. It was an, an important way of saying what he saw happening in that day and age as the revival fire spread from towns to cities to entire regions and burned throughout the entire colonial region. We need the word to run like lightning in our day today. I long to see our region and our state and our nation changed by the power 
of the gospel. I long to see our churches overflowing with people hungry for worship and hungry and desiring to serve the Lord. I long to see bars, abortion clinics, casinos, and more shut down due to lack of business. I long to see the pornography industry tank for lack of subscriptions and clicks. I long to see sports take its rightful place instead of God's place. I long to see revival and igniting of God's people in worship, in evangelism, in discipleship, in fellowship, and in ministry that brings forth a surge in the church of people's lives being transformed, of time of innovation and effective ministry, something like we have not seen in many generations. I long to see that time when the word will run like lightning. It will happen, but it will only happen as we experience a fresh move of the Holy Spirit of God among us. The last service that we had as a united church here in this beautiful sanctuary was a powerful time of worship. I'm not talking about the first weird Sunday where we were separated, but the last time we all gathered, we experienced a great movement of God that day. People came to me after the service with tears in their eyes. One person even said, this place is about to explode with growth because of what God is doing here. I believe that then, I believe that now, and I don't think this time of pause, this time of reset, is going to be used by, is accidental. I think it's going to be used by God in a purposeful way. God is using this time to prepare us for what is ahead. He's helping us to get our priorities adjusted. He's helping us to adjust our lives and get ready for a fresh move of God. And so as we conclude our series today, Empty, This Changes Everything, I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, as we encounter a message entitled, Changed, Empty to Filled. The book of Acts is the continuation of the story of the gospel. Acts was written by Luke as a sequel to his gospel story to show the expansion of the church under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The longer title of the book is the Acts of the Apostles because it recounts the acts, the work done by the apostles through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the first several decades of the church of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gave that early church an explosive transformational power. In those days, and even in a greater way than in any awakening that's ever happened since, the word ran like lightning. In fact, we read several places in the book of Acts. For instance, Acts 12, 24, a statement like this, and the word of God continued to increase and spread. The word of God was running like lightning. May that be in our day. What made the difference then and what will make the difference today is the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you'll look with me for just a moment back to Acts chapter 1, Luke begins the book of Acts right at the moment of the ascension. And just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples this in verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, why would Jesus tell them to wait? Why not run out and start telling everybody about the resurrection and the ascension and all those appearances of Jesus? Why wait? Because they needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. That should tell us that if we run into ministry on our own, we are going to be at a loss. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit or else we will fail. Ministry cannot be done in God's power. God-sized things can't be done in man's power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit coming into us. We can't do things on our own ingenuity. We need the power of the Lord Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit. In verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples what's going to come. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring power to the church. I want you to circle that word power in your copy of God's word. It comes in the original language. In the Greek, the word is dunamis, the word from which we get our word dynamite. God was giving the church dynamite power through the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, wait for it. Because when that power came, they would know it. The disciples needed spirit power desperately. Because just days before, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And all the other disciples had cut and run and hid. They all needed power. So Jesus said, wait for it. It's going to come. And so they did. They were obedient. They waited for about 10 days for the Holy Spirit to come. They didn't know what to expect, but they waited. I wonder if as they met in that upper room, just kind of hanging out, waiting, if every time they heard some kind of creak, they all looked at each other, wondering if that might be what they were waiting for. Do you think that during that 10 days, some of them wanted to give up? Maybe they wanted to just go about life and say, well, maybe we misunderstood what we were really supposed to see. But then the day came. In verse 1 of chapter 2, we read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. The Feast of Pentecost was a Jewish festival which got its name from the fact that it occurred 50 days after the Passover. It was a very important feast. In fact, it was one of the big three, we might say, of, that was a pilgrimage festival. There was the fall pilgrimage festival of the Feast of Tabernacles, and then there were the two spring feasts of travel that was Passover and Pentecost. And Jerusalem would flood with pilgrims during this time. And since Pentecost just occurred right after Passover, many people would stay over during that time and hang out for those 50 days so they didn't have to travel between the two. And this feast was important to the people of Israel for a very important reason. That's because it marked the anniversary of the giving of the law to the Jewish nation as well as celebrated God's appearance on Mount Sinai. So we might say that the festival celebrated God's word and God's presence. And so therefore it was a time of a great expectancy, great sensitivity, when a great movement of God had been celebrated. On this day, 
the disciples, Luke says, were gathered in one place. There were about 120 followers of Christ gathered at that time. We get that number from Acts chapter 1 verse 15. And where exactly this one place was is a matter of debate for scholars, but most seem to think that it was the upper room where the Last Supper had been held, but now since the crucifixion had become a place where the early followers of Christ would meet, and this is where they chose to meet and hang out and wait for the Holy Spirit. So they're there in this one place waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And we see then in verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that appeared and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The disciples there in that room heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It wasn't necessarily a wind, but it sounded like a wind. And throughout Scripture, wind symbolizes the presence of God. In Ezekiel 37, we have that awesome story of the wind of God's presence breathing life into dry and dead bones, so much so that they stand and start walking around the Spirit was about to fill the church of God with life. And so that wind that blew through that room or that, that feeling or that sense, that sound of that wind said, God is here. God is at work. But not only did the disciples hear the wind, but they saw tongues of fire. Something that appeared like tongues of fire. Fire also in the Old Testament symbolized God's presence. It's hard to forget Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush or the Shekinah glory of God appearing on Mount Sinai or at the tabernacle or the temple when they were built and God's presence filled those places. And here we see that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is one more way of God manifesting himself in the presence of of his people. So think about this. This whole city, all of Jerusalem, is celebrating a feast during which they are celebrating God's word given to them and God's presence among them. And here we have the ears of the disciples opened to hear the movement of God among them, their eyes are open to see the work of God among them, and we also see something else. Their tongues are now opened to share the word of God. Look at verses 4 through 13. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. 
Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Do you see it? Here at this feast, which celebrates God's word given and his presence among, simultaneously, we hear, we see these ears open to hear God's word. We see the eyes open to see God's work and presence and now mouths open to speak forth this same truth of God. Now, this whole issue of tongues makes Baptists kind of nervous. But we don't have to understand everything about the gift of tongues to talk about this particular passage. In fact, what happens here is actually unique from what happens the other two times in the book of Acts that the gift of tongues appears. So let's focus our attention today on this particular event of tongues on the day of Pentecost. It is apparent from what Luke gives us in Acts chapter 2 that the tongues on this day had a very specific purpose. On the day of Pentecost, God gave the apostles the ability to speak not in unknown and unintelligible tongues, but in tongues that were heard and understood by all of the people gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. The disciples were speaking languages they did not know and probably even with proper accents. You know, from what we can find out from Scripture and the comments that are made by different folks in Scripture, folks from Galilee were kind of like the rednecks of Israel. And so if a Galilean was trying to speak a different language, even if he knew it, he probably couldn't have said it without an accent coming out. A lot like us when we try to speak other languages, it's hard to get rid of our regional dialect. You know, when a redneck tries to speak French, it just comes out parlez-vous français. And that sticks out to a French person. Can it be understood? Yes. But it's not French. These particular Galileans on this day, these followers of God, somehow were able to speak these languages they didn't even know in ways that caught the ears of the people gathered there. And it struck the people as very perplexing because they said, how are Galileans speaking our language? And there were all of these different people present. And here's the thing. Since all these people were apparently Jews or converts to Judaism, as we find out in verse 11, most of them could have communicated with the apostles, if not all of them and the other disciples. Most of these folks could normally converse in Aramaic or Hebrew or even Greek. Most people in that day gathering there would have been bilingual or trilingual. So there would have been a way for the disciples to find common ground linguistically to share the truth of God's word. But what happens here is a sign from God. God allows the, the disciples to speak in the first language of all of these different people who were gathering. So that when a Greek or an Egyptian heard his language coming from a Jew from Galilee, he would say, that's not normal. And he would listen in. He would naturally gravitate to the sound of his own native tongue just as we would if we were in a foreign country and heard English being spoken. So notice what happens here. People who spoke a common language are now speaking different languages 
But people around them are able to understand it and gather around all of those different languages. Does that sound like something else that happened in Scripture? Maybe even a little bit reversed of it? Remember back to the early pages of Genesis and the Tower of Babel? There, because of man's arrogance and defiance against God, the people had one language, but God came down and confused the languages, causing people to scatter. And all of the nations were birthed on that particular day. But here, on the day of Pentecost, it's a reversal of all of that. God comes to all of these nations gathered... And he has the disciples speaking languages that they can hear. And so on this very day, God's desire to reach the scattered nations of Genesis 11 starts happening in Acts chapter 2. Literally within minutes, the Great Commission is being fulfilled by the church of Jesus Christ. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the disciples haven't even left Jerusalem yet. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. God's work is done. God on Pentecost was saying, my word is for you and special for you. The word was running like lightning. The Feast of Pentecost celebrated the word given to God's people, God's presence among his people, and that was happening all over again in a fresh way through the coming of the Holy Spirit. God just now gives his word and he gives his presence to his church under the new covenant to take that word to a lost and dying world. Right here in Acts chapter 2, God is saying to his infant church of 120 people, and the thousands of people surrounding his church that day. I am giving my church power. What once was empty is now filled. The main point of the day of Pentecost was that the Spirit of God came upon the followers of Christ in a new and a dynamic way. It was new because never before had the Spirit come in this particular way. And it was dynamic because it endowed them with a power like no one had ever had. Dynamic and new. There's a difference between those two. And it's the difference that we see between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. When we say that the Spirit had never before come in this way, we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1-5, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is an act of God by which he identifies a believer with Christ and with every other believer. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time experience that happens whenever you or I trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, you've turned in faith, and Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He is always with you. The Spirit had never come in this way before this day of Pentecost. In the Old Testament, people didn't have the privilege of what we call the abiding Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit came upon people and it left, empowering them for specific duties. But with the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to every believer who trusts Jesus Christ. But there is also a filling of the Holy Spirit. When we say the Spirit was coming in a dynamic way to endow the church with power like people had never had, we mean this filling. Luke speaks of this in, in 2.4 where they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to do something that had never happened before. It was a particular filling for a particular mission. And that's what happens with us. The filling of the Spirit happens every time we open ourselves up to what God wants us to do. The result of Spirit filling is empowerment for ministry. It's what gives us the power to answer the call of God. It's what gives us the power to stand up and preach the Word of God. It's what gives us the power to step out and lead in a way God calls us to do or to share our faith with somebody and have the words that we need to do that. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 12, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. When Jesus went to the Father, he dispatched the Holy Spirit. And that was like blowing on the head of a dandelion and spreading his spirit power to all who follow him. So as God calls us to do something for him, he gives us the spirit power we need. He fills us with that. The feeling does not have to result in strange and wacky kind of activity and manifestations, but it does result in unusual power in performing what God gives us to do. That could be prayer, that could be activity, that could be ministry. The church on the day of Pentecost received the Spirit like no one before had ever received Him in a dynamic way that endowed them with power like few people had ever had. So here on this great feast of the Old Testament that celebrated the Word of God given and the presence of God among the church of Jesus Christ had their ears open to hear the Word of God, their eyes open to see the work of God, their mouths open to speak forth the truth of the Word of God, and a whole new day of ministry was opened up. Take that in. Read the rest of Acts and see how explosive and transformational the ministry of the church was. And ask yourself, is that what we experience? When was the last time you saw the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life as a Christian? When was the last time you saw the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church? We need a fresh filling. We need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit today. One reason churches have been so ineffective in recent years is because we've pushed the Spirit's power aside. We've programmed instead of prayed. We have become sophisticated instead of spiritual. We have depended on self instead of God. We have fought among ourselves instead of fighting the spiritual foes that are battling against us. Over the last 30 years or so, while the atheists lobbied, while Hollywood anesthetized us to sin through laughter and saturation, while the foreign religions gained greater footholds, and while society declined more and more, where was the church? I'll tell you where they were. 
propping up programs and ministries that had died decades ago. Investing in our own palaces while cutting funding for missions because we needed to keep ourselves comfortable. Making sure people were happy instead of making God happy. Arguing about theological issues that haven't been solved in 1,500 years. Arguing about what we should wear in church, what songs we could sing, what instruments we should play. And all the while, it didn't matter if we played a pipe organ or a kazoo, wore shorts or a suit, were a Calvinist or Arminian, because all around us, the world was in a mess. And frankly, we didn't care. While we thought we had power because we had big buildings and big budgets, while we thought we were winning battles because we fought amongst ourselves, we really had no power. And we were losing instead of winning. I believe God has allowed this time of reset for the church to make us realize some things. Like, too often we wasted our time. We've wasted resources. We've wasted our breath. We've wasted our energy. Because too often we've not tapped into the spirit power that is available to us that could make our time meaningful our resources multiply, our breath effective, and our energy productive. And so I pray that this reset of every church and every denomination will make us sit back and realize what we've been missing out on and what we've been missing up on. If the church is to be effective today, it is to affect change in the world, it must have the power of the Spirit. We cannot impact culture on our own because we are not warring against flesh and blood. We, as the Scripture says, are warring against the powers of this world, against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realm. This is not a political battle, a social battle, an economic battle, an educational battle, a military battle. It is a spiritual battle. And this battle can only be won through the power of the Holy Spirit filling his church in a dynamic and a powerful way. What happens when the Spirit falls on the people of God? A lot of really cool things. One, power comes to do the unimaginable. Just think about the early church. 120 followers of Christ reach all of their known world in the space of a few decades. Change comes to our lives and to those around us. The scared disciples who didn't get it weeks before are empowered and transformed as bold preachers and teachers of the gospel just by the power of the Holy Spirit. Attraction comes as people see what we have, and they want what we have because they realize they need what we have. People asked immediately, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? They realize their need. Another thing that comes is innovation. Innovation comes to the church when the Spirit of God empowers believers to minister in bold and new ways into their generation at their particular time. The disciples started in the synagogues, but they quickly spread out from there. What could happen if the Spirit 
empowered us to be innovative. But another thing that comes is worship comes. Expressive, dynamic, powerful worship comes. Worship like Paul and Silas had in the prison cells where their prayers and their praise could shake the bars loose. When was the last time you saw that happen? Christian, do you need a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit in your life? As I asked, when was the last time you saw dynamite power in your personal life? We need to pray for the Spirit to come. As we often will sing that old song, it's a great prayer to pray. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, melt me down, mold me back, fill me up. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I pray that that you would pray that for yourself, especially during this time of reset. But pray it today. Lord, come and fill me. I need a Holy Spirit revival. Send the rain of heaven and flood my thirsty soul. It may be, though, today that you're watching this and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ which means you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But Frank, can I tell you this? You can fix that today. Jesus has made a way for all of us to come to know him in a personal way. We just simply have to admit that we're a sinner and that we need him. And then we need to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And then we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, surrendering our life to him. I invite you to do that today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you pray a prayer something like this today? The words aren't magical. It's not a special formula. Just from your heart, saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know, God, that no matter what I do, I can't fix that. And so, Lord, I lean upon what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary to pay for my sins. I ask for his blood to be applied to my account and that I would be washed clean. Jesus, I declare you and affirm you as the Lord of my life. I'm going to let you lead from now on. And I thank you for being the Savior of my life because you're bringing transformation right now. If you pray a prayer or something like that, Simply believing it in your heart. God saves you right where you are. You don't have to be at the church. You don't have to be hearing and being able to even respond physically in the church. You can pray, receive Christ right there, and you can let us know online simply by filling out a decision form. And and one of our pastoral encouragers, it will probably be me, will contact you this week about that decision. I'm convinced that God's going to use this time in a powerful way to bring transformation to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, and maybe even millions of people's lives. Would you pray that God would do that, beginning with you? Let's pray together. Our Father God, we pray for revival to come. We pray that your word would run like lightning, and we pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us wherever we may be scattered today in every life that's watching. Lord, I pray that every home would be filled with your spirit, that every person's life would be filled with your spirit, 
and that God's transformation would take place in a dynamic way. We know you're powerful and we know you're at work, Lord. Help us to seek your face, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's a decision that you've made today, we want to make sure that you record that in the decision form. If, there, if you're just wanting to share a prayer request, please do that through our connection form. And thank you also, church family, for continuing to give to support the ministry. We want to end today with a song of great victory and celebration, giving glory to God for the things that he has done in the past, is doing now, and will do in the future. God bless you. Let's sing to God be the glory together.
for worshiping with us today. Have a fantastic week.